Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooltop Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. So welcome to this special edition of my podcast. I'm joined today by Paul Pomroy, who was appointed CEO of McDonald's Restaurants UK and Ireland in 2015. And it's not often, as you all know, that I have anyone from the world of business on my parenting podcast, but I thought it's terribly exciting. We know that every year we've got Father's Day in June. So I thought in anticipation of that, we would do a podcast just sort of looking at fatherhood, fathering, and really share between Paul and I some experience and and knowledge. How do you be a good dad in 2021? So you're very welcome, Paul. How are you? Yeah, good, Kathy. Thank you for having me. It's, It's great to be on. It's a privilege to be joining you, as you know. So, um, as you said, I'm Paul Pomeroy. I'm CEO of McDonald's restaurants in the UK and Ireland, which means I'm responsible for around 1,400 restaurants, about 4 million customers a day, 130,000 staff in our restaurants, over 200 franchisees look after our and run our restaurants, and they're independent businessmen and women. And I've got about 500 head office and operational staff. So it's a fairly big job. But as we've discussed before, I think the biggest job I have is being a dad. And people often ask me, What's it like being the boss? And I always ask them if they're a parent, you know, being the boss of McDonald's is far easier than than, than learning your ways of that. Well, I think people would just be astonished. You know, it's just so fascinating to hear someone in your position of such responsibility and hearing how you get along. And you're very kind to share your experience today. So tell us a little bit about your journey to become a, a dad. You had you always wanted kids? Yeah, so my journey to be a dad was yeah, I met my wife Natalie. Back in 2005, here at McDonald's, actually, we, we I was working in the business strategy department and Natalie was working in marketing and we were kind of a, a typical office romance that flourished and blossomed. And from that moment onwards, you know, Nat and I you know, got along very well, obviously, and things went forwards and uh, we got married in, in 2008, the same year that I became a vice president here at McDonald's as well. And Natalie and I, you know, like most couples, you know, really wanted to enjoy life together. We traveled a lot. We enjoyed going out to dinner and the theater and stuff. Um, but obviously we, we we did want children as well, but it was never something that we was going to completely complete us as a, as a couple. We, we were very happy together and we're very fortunate in that. But obviously, yeah, we, we definitely harbored the ambition to have children. I still remember the day that Natalie told me that you know, she'd fallen pregnant with William, our, our oldest son, when I came back from the gym and she was standing on the doorstep all excited. So uh, that moment still sticks with me. Yeah, those are really special days, aren't they? That yeah. they're the sort of days that just feel completely different, don't they, from anything else? <laughs> yeah, but then as, as we've talked about, what you don't come with is, is a manual in terms of how to become a good good dad and a good parent. That that's the bit that comes afterwards. 
And I think, as you know, that's what I spend my life doing is telling parents that the actual manual that can help with parenting is the research evidence, but we'll come on to that. (laughs) And what about your own childhood, Paul? You know, to what extent was the way in which you were parented? How does that affect your your parenting at the moment? Yeah, it's something that I thought a lot about more in the last few years, Kathy. When I was younger, I had a very special bond with my mum. But my dad, and, and him and I are still close, but he was a Jekyll and Hyde character. I didn't know exactly which dad was going to come through the door each evening. He was, you know, work affected him a lot and that created, you know, some outbursts on a regular basis, which definitely affected me as a, as a child growing up. More so than I actually realised, Kathy, until I became a dad myself. It was probably locked away in, in the back of my mind somewhere in a way that it affected me. And then in more recent years, I really struggled to hold a line with the boys. Um, I've got two boys now. I've got William and Oliver. Oliver's six and William's nine. But I found it very difficult to to get the balance right. And when I disciplined the boys, I felt very guilty because of the way my dad was towards me. So it's definitely something that has affected me more deeply than than I realized. And then in all my life, I've always got help and seek, seek specialists to give me advice in my job at McDonald's, but also as a dad. So yeah, my wife and I agreed that I should go and see a psychologist. And I've got a fantastic psychologist called Shani, who's really supported me over the last 18 months, two years to understand almost the trauma, Kathy, of what went on in my childhood and how that manifests itself and then using different techniques to deal with that and how I, I handled that myself. It's a very, very powerful tool, even just to reflect in those moments when we can hear our own parents coming out in different ways or or hearing ourselves react in a ways that we, we really don't want to sound like that or, you know, have our children experience that. But catching oneself in those moments is a very powerful exercise. And just saying to your children, wait a minute, this doesn't feel good. I don't like the way I'm shouting at you. At, yeah. You know, and it's something I think you know, it'd be interesting to get your views on you know, frameworks and some of the stuff around bringing up children because there's lots of advice that you get given about how you put the framework around them, what, you know, how you discipline them when they need disciplining. And that's something that's always on my mind, Kathy, is how strict should you be? How flexible is the framework, Kathy, in terms of yeah. how you bring up those resilient kids as you talk about a lot? So what you're referring to are sort of parenting styles. Yes. So there's generally considered three parenting styles. One is authoritarian. An authoritarian parent can make children feel quite afraid. Mm -hmm. An authoritarian father, for example, might be quite neglectful, abusive, quite evangelical about discipline, so quite severe, or or that can also be a mother, obviously. And then we have laissez-faire parenting on the far end of the parenting style spectrum, which is kind of the kids rule the roost uh, and being quite facetious. But in the middle is authoritative parenting. And we know that that is, in general, optimal in terms of children's outcomes. So children's benefit most from being in a very loving but boundaried environment. So they know what the rules are. They know what your beliefs are. They know that they're going to go to bed because you've told them to go to bed. There's a rhythm to it that's very routine and consistent and stable. And really, my aim is to try and help parents be authoritative because as you've hinted, it can be quite difficult. You feel like you're being mean to them. You feel like it's hurting them, you know, telling them to go to bed or taking their iPad off them when they're desperate to play on it. But it's not, it's being authoritative. And I think there's a quite a distinction. Yeah. And it's something that yeah, I'm sure many people can 
relate to is that you, you don't always play from a 10 yourself. That's not possible. And, and something that I pride myself on here at McDonald's, but also in my personal life is that you know, sometimes good enough is, is good enough and you can't be superhuman all the time. But obviously, you know, when you walk through the front door at night, the boys don't know what day you've had. So you, you, you try to have that break and that transitional period, which is something I work hard on. And, but there are moments when you let yourself down, but that's when I personally will go to being anxious and feeling guilty. That's when those gremlins, I suppose, overnight will, will come. And it's funny, Kathy, that I don't get it with work. I've never had it with work in terms of, so the, the effect on my childhood growing up never manifested itself for work in, in that way. But what it did give me when I was growing up is drive and determination and a lot of my own sort of self-drive and resilience. So there's been some positives, but obviously there's some moments when I really do feel anxious about, am I doing the right thing? And these these two little boys, you know, Natalie and I are creating their future lives. So um, you feel you feel the pressure of that. Yeah. I mean, what you're alluding to, it can feel terrifying, yeah. scary. When I'm sure you were the same when we held that baby in our arms. It was absolutely terrifying, wasn't it? I remember those first couple of nights when you've no sleep and the world is like a dreamlike landscape and you've got a newborn, you've no idea what you're doing. And my husband woke up in the middle of the night and the baby was crying. It was about four o'clock in the morning, you know, horrific, horrible to be woken up at that time. And he just looked at me and he said, if we don't feed him, he's going to die. This is terrifying, you know. Where's the manual? (laughs) Yeah, where's the book? So I think that the feelings of being, I think that fear takes quite a long time often for the fear to dissipate. And what you're referring to is becoming more confident because it doesn't matter what your job is. That being a parent is something, that parental confidence takes a lot of time to to grow. That's one of the things, Kathy, for me that I talk very openly here that I don't have all the answers as the boss of McDonald's. But I certainly don't have all the answers as a dad. And I'm very open with my children. And it'd be interesting to get your views on the conversations you should have with children. But I'm very open with the children that I'm on a journey learning as a dad as well. And we go for walks together as a family, which we find time where we can actually get them away from screens and talk. But I'm very much in, in in the mindset that people look at you in your professional career. I'm sure you must have it as well. And they think you must have the perfect world. You know, your life must be very calm and there can't be any dinner table moments for Kathy. But it's the same for me. It's funny how people look at you and think that because you've done something in your professional career, being a dad must be easy. And I suppose a part of why I really welcomed joining you is to to say that that's not the case. Everyone goes on the same journey as a parent and everyone feels stress and we all feel guilty. And I think the other thing for me, Kathy, is that as a dad who does have a, a responsible job, I want people to understand that it's okay to ask for help and I ask for help a lot. It's okay to feel kind of out of your depth and to admit as a dad that you're out of your depth. I think sometimes us men don't always put their hand up and say we're struggling. And I think it's important, certainly for the younger boys that are coming up and growing older, it's fine to to say you've got feelings and to say that you don't understand. And I, I'd love my boys to grow up being in touch with their feelings and also being honest about that. I think, as I've said to you before, I mean, I'm raising boys as well, that one of the most important missions when you're parenting a a boy in particular is to try and cultivate a good quality relationship with them where they can tell you when things are wrong. Now, for a nine-year-old, that might be when he's a little bit sad. And sometimes boys have those emotions just shut down very, very rapidly. It could be when their teacher, a sports teacher, tells them to man up 
on the pitch or their granddad tells them to stop crying like a girl. I mean, I've, there are lots and lots of instances yeah. like that that can really shut down that sort of emotional, the need to feel and, and express feeling. And to me, that is an enormous challenge. I think it takes an awful lot of hard work, but you keep you have to keep your eye on the prize. It's a very delicate space. Often peers cannot allow boys to express those feelings. So it's really, really hard for them. It's not expected. It can be shut down and have terribly damaging consequences. So your boy's emotional literacy should be absolutely fundamental as a target in order to, to cultivate. And you do that through the things that you've just described, going for lovely walks, where you allow them the space and time to talk about whatever they want to talk about. But fundamentally, you know, it's about not overreacting. So they might tell you something that upsets you, that disturbs you, that sounds a bit odd, but try and just keep calm and constructive and not overreact. Because when children sense overreaction, well, they're not really going to run to tell you the next time. So that is a very, very difficult thing to do in our parenting. And it takes time to sort of have confidence in that approach because it can be really exciting over time to see how they start sharing things. They tip their toe in the water and see, how's my daddy going to react when I tell him that this happened? So that's a really key part, I think, of raising boys in particular. One of the things that I've tried, I mean, I, I've read various books, Kathy, you know, throughout the boys' lives um, to, to get tips. And one of them uh, is a book called Raising Boys by Steve Bidolf. I don't know if you've seen that, but one of the things he talks about a lot is having mentors for the boys. And I've the other thing that I've had courage to do is to, I think it's courage, but to to say again that I haven't got all the answers and I, I need to create the right role models around the boys. And it's been interesting to see if you put the right teachers around them, friends, not friends so much, but kind of people that give them a different perspective on life, suddenly they they start to also join the dots that mummy and daddy are saying a similar thing, maybe in different in a different way. It's, it's fascinating that one of the things we try to talk to the boys about is that just saying yes to everything doesn't make us good mummies and daddy. <laughs> it's kind of you know, just keep saying yes doesn't doesn't take that. And, and just for the for the listeners, I don't want to create this perfect image in their mind that we we say we're going to go out for a walk and we go out for a lovely family walk. That's not how it is with two young boys. It it's what it takes us twenty five minutes to get out of the door. That's right. <laughs> um, you have to persuade them to go first. Yeah. That's <laughs> the, question, the, the main question I always have, Kathy, is that how do you get the skills to see through the moment? Because the hardest thing for me is that you're an adult and you you sometimes misread. The situation with a six-year-old or a nine-year-old and it's really hard when you're you're in rational adult head and then you enter into their world and you go to rational answer and you kick yourself sometimes Kathy that you've gone to a rational place adult to adult and it's not adult to adult so any advice you can give on that would be great yeah, because you're used to problem solving and finding solutions at work. But actually in parenting, it's quite counterintuitive because what children need is not the solutions. It's for us to listen, number one, and listen without overreacting or even reacting. And then allowing children time to really think through what they are saying because they're not as articulate as us. So they'll, they might mention something. They may not want to talk about it at that time. So it, it requires enormous patience. And we're always jumping in. We want to know how was your day? How did you get on with your friends? What did you get your spelling test? We're very demanding. And yeah. children actually are enormously reflective and they just want to test the water out. They want time to think about things. So 
as counterintuitive as it is, when you're out on those walks and they mention something, the greatest thing you can do to buy yourself time and them time is just to say, what do you think? You know, what should I do, Daddy? Well, what do you think? What do you think is happening there? So you're really working and thinking and, and focusing in on their thinking. So you're, it's almost like you are mentoring them. Yeah. You're not you're not telling them the solution. You're mentoring. You're think, you're getting them to think about different scenarios, different perspectives. So it is a, an entirely different focus because you and I want to jump in, solve yeah. it. We know the answer, but that's not beneficial to them potentially in the long run. No, I agree. And then the other battle, Kathy, that I'm sure you've heard from many dads and, and certainly mums as well, is uh, the whole technology battle and how much time should you give them and is it good, is it bad? So any perspective on that? I mean, it's just it's a permanent discussion in our house. Obviously, it's a permanent discussion at the school that the boys go to as well. So you, know, you feel guilty if they have any time and then you get you enter that WhatsApp world of competition time about who's on what and who's not. And so any advice on that would be fantastic. Yeah, well, there's two different things there. Number one, first of all, we all love tech, don't we? We all love it. I mean, we all love our iPads. We all love our phones. We all love computer games, adults game all the time. So I think we need to just park any hypocrisy in this area as adults and say we all love tech. It's a digital world. Let's get on with it. So ultimately, as an aim, we want to raise an autonomous digital citizen, a, a person, a child who's going to be a great citizen in the digital space. So it comes back to within parenting all about balance. It's about their digital diet. So a little bit of gaming is fine if it's age appropriate, etc. But it has to live in context with a range of other activities that are beneficial for that child. This is where the struggle is, mm. making sure that the balance is clear. This is where we have to be more authoritative. And it's a little bit like a trivial pursuit, you know, a little pie. I like to think of it. It's one bit is gaming. One bit is being on the computer with their friends. That's all great. But then the other bits have to be filled in. So, And yeah. I think we have to be very authoritative with our children in this space and teach them how to have a balanced digital diet. We're not trying to take it away from them. We enjoy digital tech ourselves. So that's one aspect of it. But then there is a very significant risks. There are very significant risks that come with engagement in the digital world that I think parents are often very naive about. And I talk about them a lot, which is children's access to pornography, to inappropriate material at a very young age. The average age of a boy encountering pornography will be 11 in this country. And that is often wow. because of the arrival of smartphones. The other bit that you mentioned and hinted at is, is sort of peer pressure among parents. But I would always encourage parents to do whatever's best for their child unashamedly, unapologetically. And I always say to my children, I'm not interested. I couldn't give a monkeys what <laughs> anyone else is doing because I want you to know that I will do anything to make sure that your life is as good as it could be. And that is where I'm coming from. I don't care what anyone else is doing. You and I will make a good decision together. And I'm not trying to stop you doing things you're going to enjoy. You're going to do all these things. You're going to have a smartphone for the next 60 years, right? But yeah. it's about, you know, you have to stand your ground. You used right. that term earlier of hold the line, and that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that's one of the toughest things, Kathy, as a dad, is that because there's not a manual and, and you don't see the immediate results if that makes sense you, you you hope you're doing the right things in the right moment because obviously in business you make decisions 
And within a matter of sometimes in my business, in a matter of days, I know if I've got a, made a good decision or a bad decision with a team. But with, with the boys, I'm not going to see the potential output of that until they're maybe 16, 18, 20. You know, it could be a long time down the line that you see the, the benefits of the life that you've given them, the way that you've parented, the upbringing you've given them. And I think that's what's always so fascinating is that in a world where everything's so immediate, your effect on the boys is, is much more longer standing. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting journey that you go on as a dad. I think it's about, yeah, you're right, that you want to know what the impact's going to be. But we always just have to do our best. And as you've referred to, being good enough and, you know, just doing our best every day, every week. But remember as well that children are so forgiving. Children are so compassionate. Children won't remember often some of the things, the errors that we feel we've made in our parenting. But one of the things I always ask parents in some of my talks is I'll say, when when your child is our age, when they're 45 or, you know, how will they be able to remember that they were loved? What is it that will remain in that sort of sieve? And I remember asking this question at a parenting talk, and there was a very elderly gentleman in the front row And he said he was in his 70s and he said, I know my mother loved me because every train journey, she would bring my favorite grapes. She would always remember. That's what he was in his sieve. Hmm. Whereas I remember I had a very, very busy father who was a doctor and he would always, always, always put down his dictaphone and listen to me. I remember that. I don't remember. It's not about the big trips to Disney World. Yeah. It's that. It's their time. So the question is, you know, what is it that your children will remember? You don't know what it is. It might surprise you, but they'll find something. And it may not be the things that you expect. We're interesting on time, Kathy. So one of the things that I'm well known for here is being a noisy lever. And since when Natalie and I agreed to have children together, as in you know, something we want to embark on, we, we both agreed that we would balance our professional lives and I'm very proud that Natalie's a very successful lady in her own right as well as a mum and she's you know she's a fantastic mum and chief marketing officer as well but we agreed that we would always give the time and change our lives to be around the boys so I leave very regularly here at five o'clock I get home for bath times I've only missed one of the boys nativity plays ever and that was when I was in Chicago but in all of their life I've made everything I've cancelled everything and I always very publicly say that you know, McDonald's won't remember what I missed in terms of a meeting, but the boys will remember that daddy was the only dad that wasn't sitting there watching sports day or wasn't turning up to parents evening. I'm very proud that I'm the only, I think I'm now the only dad left standing on the WhatsApp parents group, which is called a parents group. But, but so you find out a lot about mums on the WhatsApp group, that's for sure. <laughs> and what would you say, you know, to young employees in any company who are afraid to say to their boss, look, I need to get home for bat. I've promised to read him a book. It can be quite scary in that position. Well, I think I'm hoping that people like myself can start to change the perception on that. And I, I, I had a fantastic role model when I was growing up. When I first joined McDonald's, I was an accountant and the chief finance officer was a guy called George Mackay. Him and his wife, we still go to dinner with now and he's retired. But I remember him leaving the office at six religiously. We used to work eight till six. And he would always say to me, don't ever tell anyone to finish their work. Just tell them to stop. Because in a professional career or any any job that you do, it's very rare that you can ever finish what you're doing in that day. So just stop and go home. And I think everyone needs to fulfill their life and to have a break away from work to be successful. Because I... I'm not a robot. I can't work 24-7. I get bored like other people if I do the same thing repetitively. So I think having that balance and also 
you become very distracted if you're not going home to be with your children to, to do the stuff that you want to do. And I, I know that I get anxious when I get on a plane to go to Chicago to McDonald's head office because I know I'm leaving that family unit and I don't like it. I have to do it four or five times a year, but I don't enjoy it. But to young people, I'd say that speak up because you'll be surprised how many people then open up themselves. When I speak up, the amount of people that then open up that it's important to them as well, even my peers, people above me in, in the company, and also people below me. So I think creating an environment where it's okay to want to have balance. And even if you haven't got children at a point in time, you still need to get out and exercise or switch off and go and go to the theatre. So I think having balance is really important because you burn out really quickly. Life is a marathon, not a sprint, certainly. But I think the more people that can create a culture where it's okay, certainly for dads, to not be macho. And let's face it, a lot of us are, you know, when you're growing up, you were taught to kind of stiff up a lip, you know, soldier on and keep quiet and keep going. But I think for me, the more we can change that culture, Kathy, we'll create a better environment for the children that are getting brought up. And all children need their mums and all children need their dads in equal measure. And I think dads for too long, that's what we're talking about today is dads, but dads have been missing sometimes because of that peer pressure at work that we need to break. And I think often in my work, I'm always surprised how little fathers know how important they really are, certainly to when they're raising young children. You know, we know that a father's active involvement with children in infancy, for example, can significantly predict much better socio-emotional behavior at age three. You know, so when fathers are really engaged speaking to that infant, it can have an enormous impact. So fathers have a very longitudinal impact on children's outcomes. But by doing simple things like play, play is a great investment in children's resilience, reading to young children. We know that actually dads who work 35 to 40 hours weeks are much more likely to read to their children. And again, it's interesting that they'll make, just making a little bit of an effort can go such a long way. But one of the other things that potentially fathers aren't as aware of is that it's called sensitivity, just being sensitive to your children's yeah. emotional responses or sensitive to what they're you're seeing on their face, you're reading those cues, you're listening to what potentially they're quite interested in. That sort of supportiveness in those interactions can really have a great impact, a substantial impact on children's emotional state. We know that your children will move into a new year group, for example, in September. Again, it's called school readiness. So getting ready for school is associated with high levels of paternal sensitivity. So that just means caring, taking an interest, reading your child's social cues, listening for what they're trying to tell you. Often as parents, we can be terribly dismissive when they're trying to open up a conversation about something that they're potentially quite interested in. Yeah, and it's Similar to what we go through at home, Kathy, is that we try not to take any form of gadgets upstairs. We don't have any televisions upstairs. And the moments when we can really connect with the boys as well, as, as well as the walks, is bath time and then story time. And we still have half an hour's story time where it's actually interesting now that the older one, William, is reading to his brother. So he shares, it's either myself, Natalie or, or William that will read the story time with, and Oliver's starting to want to do that as well. So and it's that moment when you can really relax before bedtime. And then after story time, we always try and have four or five minutes when the boys have got their lights off, just talk to them about their day uh, as they're sort of starting to go to sleep and finding out what it is that went well. But also it gives me a time away from the moments that 
come up in parenting to say that you know, I didn't do stuff as well as I, I thought I should have done and you know, and just to reflect on the days and stuff. So I think it's those moments that you can create that time and that calmness when you get the most out of them. And don't get me wrong, it's not easy to stick to. And people often say to me, well, it's easy for you because you're the boss. But it's not always easy. There's, everyone's got pressures. I think all I'd ask is that the more time you give the kids, the, the, the more you get back. But it's, it's not easy to, to do that. And what does a sort of a normal Saturday look like for you? Because you're obviously quite a driven person, but I'm imagining, you know, you're up at six, you're at the gym, that, you know, you, and you move on to some sort of children's activities. What's it yeah. like in your household? Firstly, uh, we are still up at six, but not because I'm in the gym, because the boys don't do weekends still. They uh, they go to bed at seven most nights and, and wake up at probably around kind of six in the morning. So we are up, but it's not because of the gym. So we basically have a more relaxed first couple of hours where they have a bit more TV time. And, you know, obviously in the mornings of school, it's a bit more hectic. And then both boys are into their their football. So we then divide and conquer and we share whether I go with William or Natalie goes with Oliver or whatever. And then we meet back. We always have a family lunch on, on Saturday. So family lunch after football in the morning. And then in the afternoon on the Saturday is when we, we try to keep Saturday afternoons for us as a four. So whether that's a walk or a bike ride or something where it connects the four of us, that's been easier, actually. One of the positives out of lockdown has not been loads of parties because obviously the main thing that we used to have to keep Sunday afternoons and Saturday afternoons and then manage the parties. But at the moment, there's not been too many parties. And then often on a Saturday night, it's the, the boys stay up and we, we decide uh, what we're going to cook for dinner. And Saturday evenings is family dinner where the four of us will decide on a menu. Both boys love food, which is great. They, they love the same things but different in terms of what they will eat and what won't eat obviously and then we cook together and the boys stay up a bit later on a Saturday evening it's the one one night a week they'll stay up and join us for dinner normally they don't they're in bed but yeah so it's a bit more relaxed for Nassie and I we do do the gym in the week and all of that sort of stuff but we try and have a bit more boys time on on the Saturday we don't always get it right obviously but that's what we aim to do. So one of the things that we know from the research is that a father who's adventurous, who encourages his children to take sort of risks physically, will in general, it'll lead to, you know, greater resilience. So you sort of give it, give it a go nudges, I call them, where you're getting them to try new things, new foods, tricky things out in the outdoors. Is that something that you like doing or do you still have that feeling, that pit in your stomach where you think, oh, I'm so scared Oliver's going to climb at the top of that tree yeah so um and this is where it comes into joint parenting so I'm probably a bit more gung-ho on that stuff because it's the way that my mum and dad sort of brought me up to give it a go and I fell off my bike a lot and all that sort of stuff but it's interesting that you know Natalie and I are different people Natalie's probably a bit safer on her little boys and not wanting them to fall over and, and that sort of stuff but certainly when it's you know dad time it's a bit more kind of gung-ho, brave, climb a few trees. There are moments though, Kathy, I must admit, when we're on the bikes together in the woods that you've got butterflies for them when they're, you're shouting out behind them, brakes, 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 and you, you know that you know, that it's uh, it's not going to happen and then they, they come off. But you know, I'm a firm believer in they, they've got to try stuff because they, they can't grow up with a fear of failure or a fear of things. So we, we do encourage them to do that. But we also, like any part of parenting, Kathy, we... We try to teach them the kind of framework. So, you know, being sensible about things and, and slowly doing it as opposed to just going crazy. So we, we make sure they've always got bike hats on and all of that good stuff. Climbing trees is a bit more difficult. It's interesting when 
sometimes William will have a play date and he takes his friends out and then they egg each other on and you see how high they go when there's two boys together and if there's three boys together at the same age then it's then you're responsible for someone else's child as well so that you definitely no, get that that, that is the point where you go get down from the tree <laughs> yeah. yeah it's absolutely terrifying you get a look from William saying dad come on yeah. Yeah. I thought you wanted me to do all these courageous things but yeah. not with someone else's kids please yeah. thanks very much one of the things I'm very interested in I often think about is giving fathers the sort of the encouragement to bring your sort of the significant skills that you have in terms of leadership into family life. So the applicability of some of your work-related skills and rather than that stark division between leaving the workplace into the home life, actually there's great transferability of skills there. And I'm just curious about which skills you feel are very transferable. So firstly, one you mentioned earlier, Kathy, which Look, I'm not perfect on yet, that's for sure, which is, is mentoring. And certainly in this job, trying to resist having all of the answers for people. So mentoring, asking good questions, showing sincere curiosity, but then also recognizing that everyone's got a diverse point of view and comes from a different perspective. So those skills that I use around the boardroom table of bringing in different opinions, truly trying to listen, being curious and asking more questions and giving answers is something that it's funny how those two go hand in hand and it, it, it's really interesting. But then the second part is creating a culture where people feel comfortable to express their opinions. Because in my job, regardless of whether someone's met me or not, because of the job title, people have a fear of that title and they react differently. So some people will avoid talking to me. Some people will gabble rubbish to me in my job. And then some people will hopefully eventually treat me kind of just as a normal human being once they know me and I think as a dad it's the same you don't want to create an environment where your children are fearful of talking to you and you want them to be open about what's gone on in their life and and to tell you the truth so I think going back to business I always talk about problems shared is a problem halved or if you ignore problems they grow and they fester and they they become bigger than they should have been in the first place so get it off your chest so there's no problem with people having issues to deal with and I think it's the same as being a dad you know I don't know which path the boys are going to tread there'll be bumps along the road but them feeling comfortable that they can share those bumps and be honest with me about how they're feeling is important and that's the same in business because I'm surrounded by really talented people and often it's me creating that culture of openness and safety and feeling like a team and that we're in it together it's the same at home and that's what we try to Natalie and I try to create at home is that safety, that bubble where they can express themselves and feel safe and know that they're not going to have any retribution for what goes on. Yeah, that is incredibly important within parenting, that that family culture that you've just referred to. And obviously, you're an expert in developing talent and nurturing potential. And as parents, all we're interested in is nurturing our children's potential. So how do you think about your children's potential and how they're probably very individual? And how do you sort of, do you have chats with Natalie about their potential and how you might actually attune to that? Yeah, so I think Natalie and I really want the boys to, to be happy. That's the main thing we want in life is to, to be really happy, to enjoy school and to fit into to the society which they're in, which is school at the moment. And we're, you know, they're very lucky they go to a lovely school and the headmaster is a, is a fantastic leader of that establishment and sets a lovely culture we talk about the fact that yeah, you know, we want the boys to 
explore at the moment. And I think that's the same with young talent in business is that I was fortunate enough to be able to explore different areas of business. And so people say to me, Kathy, when did you decide, how young were you when you decided you wanted to be the CEO of McDonald's? And I said, I never did. I just, I got great advice when I was younger, which was to enjoy the moment you're in and just to work hard, you know, in that moment, whatever job it was. And I think it's the same for the boys is that as they've evolved, their interests keep changing. And I think nurturing those interests and we don't put pressure on them to to do maths or English or geography or it's allowing them to, to explore. And William, the oldest one's really into music. He loves his music and loves his art and but he equally, you know, enjoys the kind of more traditional classes like maths as well. And then Oliver's very different. He William goes through life without missing a heartbeat. He doesn't particularly get stressed. Whereas Oliver gets very driven by doing the right thing. So creating an environment around Oliver, the youngest one, to, to go on a journey is important as well. So I think in a moment, the way we are trying to parent Kathy is to create an environment where they can explore, like any young talent in business, to be curious about life, to get as much information about different things as possible, but not to force them into any one direction. You get a lot of peer pressure from parents already. And Oliver's six, William's nine, as I said, and People are talking about which secondary school and you know wh- where do you think they you know, go to university? And I, Natalie and I are kind of like, we don't know. We, we'll be guided by the school, the experts on what's right for the boys. We'll be guided by them in terms of what they enjoy. And we'll work together as, as that happens. I think it's like people's career, trying to create those sort of Venn diagram moments where it's you, you kind of find that sweet spot is really, really important. I'm sure people are dying to ask you this and have asked you this before, but... I think it can be enlightening to learn that someone like you can have a bad day at the office, can have something happen, something go wrong. I think everyone would love to know how you cope with things going wrong and how, how does that translate into your parenting? What messages about failure are you keen to convey? So I'm very, um, so look, you know, on a weekly basis, Kathy, when you're running a business of this scale, things go wrong. That's just the nature of business. I think one of the things that I share a lot with the boys is that, you know, this whole teamwork philosophy that at McDonald's, it's not daddy on his own. It's a team of people that pull together to to work together. And it's not any one person's fault that things go wrong. At home, I try to encourage them to be honest about it's the trying and, and the effort that is important to me, not the failure. So I often talk at work, Kathy, about the fact that, um, I have not a problem with us failing. But as a driven person, as you said earlier, what I don't like is not trying and not trying our best. So I talk a lot to the boys about it's not the getting things wrong or not getting, you know, I I don't mind if they get zero out of 20 on a a spelling test as long as they've worked their hardest in terms of if they feel like they've put their best effort in, then that's great. And that's what I talk about a lot is application. And obviously, I don't use words like application with the boys, but I talk about application. I talk about effort. I talk about also... Now with the older one, William, I talk about self-motivation, Kathy, which is mm. I keep talking to him about daddy can't be there all the time to to help him. That's not life, and nor can mummy. You know, he's got to want to do things himself. And he'd have days when, look, we all don't play from a 10 every day. It's impossible. You know, we, I get cut up on the way to work. You have a moment where someone pulls out on you, it irritates you, and not everyone plays from a 10 when they're in any environment. So it's impossible to expect perfection. And it's one of the things that, when I, when I talked to Shani, my psychologist, she helped me with was that 
the average child's attention span is a lot shorter than people expect. And But we expect them to concentrate for too long often. So again, we also work hard on these transitions at home where there's breaks between things. So even if we're at home and they're going to football to try and turn the TV off 20 minutes beforehand so they get used to the transition and the same when you know they do their music lessons and stuff like that. So there's a break and there's a natural flow because none of us perform at our best if we just move from one thing to the other. It's just not, and they do it at school naturally, obviously, because they have breaks and they get out and run around. And so trying to replicate that at home is important for us. Now, last question, Paul, because I know you're a busy man. I always wonder why potentially fathers don't provide sort of enough sort of collaborative sort of support networks, potentially. You've mentioned WhatsApp earlier, but do you think fathers could do more around supporting each other around their parenting? It's one of the things that frustrates me the most, Kathy, is that I think as dads, sometimes we need to just put our hands up and say we need help too. I'm on the dad's WhatsApp group at school as well. And if you look at what goes on there, it's it's jolly banter. There's sports jokes and stuff like that. But no one's ever honest enough to say, like the mums do on the, on the parents' WhatsApp, that I'm, I'm struggling. Does anyone know the answer to this? You very rarely see on a dad's WhatsApp a question of, hand up, I'm struggling. How do you handle this situation? And um, it's something I think that people like myself and other dads can start to do is that to role model that behavior to say it's okay that you're feeling anxious or out of control or not don't have all the answers so i think the more we can do kathy to get dads to speak up about their feelings i think it will help the children that they're bringing up as well because i think too often we we don't ask for help we bury it under a, a pillow and, and hope it goes away but obviously those little moments i said earlier they grow and they fester and, and they play on your mind so i think the more we can encourage dads to, to speak up and say it's okay to ask for help we haven't got all the answers you know when I learned to drive I didn't just get in a car and start driving you know when I learned to ride my bike I didn't just get on it and ride my bike and I think it's the same with being a dad you can't just become a great dad it's impossible so I think you need to put your hand up and say do you know what I'm having a tough time and, and that's okay and ask for help yeah, and not to keep the conversation to superficial things, although, you know, what happened in the PGA is interesting. But how are your kids, you know, yeah. asking those questions? Yes, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So happily, Paul, you're about to, uh, in your school, you're about to become a tooled up dad, which means you get access to all my parenting resources. So let's hope that that will be a continuation of our dialogue. And I'd have to ask you as well, you know, how are you going to celebrate Father's Day? this year well i think we're probably gonna go for a boys bike ride the boys boys love coming out on the bike with daddy because they go a bit faster so i think we'll do a, a bike <laughs> ride in the morning and then we'll go for a family lunch somewhere where the, where the four of us just get out and knowing the boys it'll just be a pizza they love a pizza doesn't matter where just a pizza with ice cream for afters that makes their day so i think it'll probably be something quite relaxed just a bit of boys time and then lunch with nat and uh, and the four of us sounds perfect well listen thank you so much for you know sharing your experiences of, of being a dad with me this morning and it's been fantastic to get some insight as to what it's like being um, a dad in your home so thank you so much paul well, thank you for having me Kathy. take care thank you this get a grip podcast is brought to you by tooled up education the home of evidence-based tips on parenting family life and education www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in tooled up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the tooled up site.